following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. And thanks, Becky. Uh, if you would, grab your Bible or your electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. And they give an account about Jesus. I was shaking some people's hands as they were coming in this morning. And uh, one lady looked at me and she said, uh, she got introduced. I said my name or whatever. And then her family member said, this is our pastor. This is Jordan. And she said, I thought you were just a regular person. <laughs> and I said, I am. <laughs> I know I look a lot um, older than I am. <laughs> My name is Jordan, though, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. We've been here for uh, a little, going on about six years, uh, maybe a little more, a little bit less. The best part about baptisms is when we get into this house, so many of you come from so many different walks and so many different lifestyles, and you come from so many different places, that it's our responsibility as a church to explain what we're doing because there's so many guests in the house here this morning. It wouldn't do us any good if we were to uh, just go ahead and have people come up and get baptized because sometimes there would be people who have some clouds in their heads of what we're doing and why we're doing those things. The other reason why I love Baptism Sunday is it gives you a good opportunity to learn a little bit about us and why we exist as a church and why we uh, do the things that we do. In your Bibles, if you would go to Matthew chapter 28, it's a familiar verse. I know a lot of you who grew up in church are used to this verse, but I'm just going to read it for you. Jesus essentially has already resurrected from the dead. And we believe that as a church. We believe that really happened just as Barack Obama is president and Donald Trump will be president. We believe that Jesus Christ rose. We believe that he died and he rose again as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for your sin and my sin. And so Jesus has risen, it says in Matthew 28. It's already happened. And he had 12 followers or disciples. And they followed him around for 12 years and he taught them everything that they needed to know. And Jesus is going to ascend. He's going to actually go up into heaven, and then he's going to come back. And that's the second advent. I know we talk about the advent season, but the first advent is Christ coming. second advent is that Christ will come again. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, we look forward to that with great anticipation that that will happen. Just as the Cubs won the World Series, so Jesus will come back again. Like, we're excited about that thing. And you can say that now. That's fun. All right. <laughs> So, he's going to tell his disciples some instructions in Matthew chapter 28. Watch this. In verse 18, he says to them, as well as to you and I, if we call ourselves Christians, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How does he get to say that all authority has been given to him? Because he just rose from the dead. Nobody else can say that. Jesus can say that. He says, so therefore I rose from the dead. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore... You go now, and you make disciples of all nations, and you baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. And I want you to teach them everything or to observe all the things that I have commanded to you. And behold, I'm going to be with you, he says, always until the end of the age. 
The primary purpose or the primary audience in Matthew chapter 28 is first of all those 11 disciples. Because you remember one of them has gone. His name was Judas. He betrays Jesus. But the other 11 are sitting there and they're listening to what Jesus has to say. And that's the primary audience of who that passage is delivered to. But then it extends from generation to generation to generation to you and to me who call ourselves Christians. Who have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He gives us some instructions there. He says the first thing that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to make disciples. This is why we exist as a church. We'll get to baptism in just a second, but I want to give you some reasons on why we exist as a church that come from Matthew chapter 28. We exist to make Christ known near and far. If you've come here one week, 50 weeks, 500 weeks, that's what we're all about as a church. Everybody can say it. It's fun. We exist to make Christ known near and far. To go and to make. How do you make disciples? What does that look like? What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? I don't know where you came from. I don't know your background. I don't know if you understand that. But the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That'd be Jesus. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God loves the world so much that he would give his son. But why would he give his son? Well, the Bible tells us that God set a standard. And the standard was perfection. He says, you should be perfect. And you know what? We messed up in that standard. The Bible tells us we messed up because we sin. That's what it's called when we mess up in the eyes of God. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've done it and I've done it. We've done something that has done God a disservice. And he says because you've done God a disservice, the wages of that sin is death. You're going to die. If we look at cemeteries and we stroll by them and we see them all the time and we sometimes choose to be ignorant of those cemeteries, we would see that every time I drive by, I look at it and I say, those exist because we sin. We fell short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. But the verse goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, a lot of people know John 3, 16, but they don't know John 3, 17. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world. Jesus comes into the world to save. Amen. Praise the Lord. He came to save a sinner like me and a sinner like you. And I don't know if church has kind of rubbed you the wrong way. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And let me tell you what. I remember sitting in pews every single week and going, oh, man, here goes dad again. Right? And my dad would look at me and say, I'm speaking to you. <laughs> the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If Jesus didn't come into the world, then the Lord Jesus came into the world to save it. And then he says to his followers, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be, the Bible tells us, saved. Saved from what? Saved from death, first and foremost. Saved from an eternal existence away from a creator. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the closest that you're ever going to get to experiencing God's grace. Because after it's over, His wrath comes. That's what Romans tells us. And so we have an opportunity. Either we accept Christ or we reject Christ. We either confess that He is the Messiah and believe, or we reject that message. And if we have said that we believe in Jesus Christ, our opportunity, not our obligation, is to go and make disciples. So everybody in this church, Community Gospel Church family who's gathered here this morning, we exist to make 
Christ? No, we're all about it. So if we're at like our jobs or if we're in our homes or we're talking to our friends, Jesus is on the tip of our tongue all the time. We're trying to point people back to what it means to follow after Jesus Christ in relationship. And a lot of people look at the church and they say, but the church is hypocritical. And we would say, absolutely, because all have fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves us enough that he says, it's by grace you have been saved, an undeserved merit, an undeserved favor. He looks at you and he says, even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a free gift. That's grace. And you accept it through faith. It's not of works, nothing that I can do. God had to come to me. I can't go to him. He did that with his son. And so we make Christ known. And you're going to hear some testimonies in just a little bit of people who have heard the good news, or what we would call the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have confessed and believed it. And that was the first step. They made Christ known to themselves, and now they want to go and declare. We'll talk about that in just a second. Matthew 28, he gives the second thing. And he says, not only are you supposed to go, but you're also supposed to teach. So we are an independent Bible-teaching church. I talked to a guy the other day. He says, Jordan, who pays your bills? I said, Jesus pays our bills. He says, really? What does that look like? Can I see the check? <laughs> I said, it doesn't really work like that. I said, we're non-denominational. We're independently funded. We don't like have a mothership that just comes to our aid or whatever the case is. I said, we believe, based on the Bible, that we're called and commanded to give to the local church. And I said, and we give to the local church because it teaches God's word. We've been in the book of James the past couple of weeks, and the book of James says you should be not just hearers of the word, but you should be doers as well. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings, we teach this word. Without reservation, without hesitation, we teach it. Because we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, it's without error, it's authoritative, which means it's useful in every single area of our lives. So we use this word to teach us not just how God loves us, but how we should therefore love God and return and love others. And it teaches us about things like baptism, and it opens our eyes to things that we've never known before. So you go, and you make disciples, and you teach, and then he says... <clears throat> And you baptize them. And here's where kind of things get tricky within the church. What in the world is baptism? We filled up a tub of water. Why would we do something like that? That's a great question. And you guys have come from different backgrounds. And you come from different religions. And religion has really ruined us to a certain extent. It's really made us kind of see that with religion there's legalism. But with relationship with Jesus Christ there's clarity. And in God's words, he gives us clarity on what baptism is. So I don't know about you or, or where you're at. Some of you guys got that slip, but the kids were handing out a slip. That's way cooler than any slip we've handed out. And I saw it, and I was like, we should give these to adults. I mean, they might pay attention a little bit more. So adults, you tend to yourselves this morning as you're taking notes. Don't steal the note slip from the little kids, all right? We want you to just use your own and let them take notes. So I'm going to give you some... Um, notes here this morning that you can take home with you, whether you call community gospel in your home or not, so you can have a clarity and an understanding of what baptism is. Watch this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three questions I have on baptism that I never got responded to until I was older. First of all, number one, what is baptism? Good question. What is 
Baptism. Good question. Baptism, first and foremost, at its very core, is an outward profession of an internal possession. It is a symbolic representation of an inward transformation. What are you talking about? If I have called myself a Christian, if I have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord, I, first of all, hold that dear to myself. But as a Christian, it's the last time that I'm allowed to be selfish. I think the church has missed that. It's the last time. Salvation is the only time you get to be selfish. That's it. It's the only time in the Bible that you get to take care of your needs. That's it. When you realize you're a sinner, you have one opportunity either to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or to reject that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that first and foremost, I'm staking my foundation on Jesus Christ and not myself. So the second step, according to Matthew 28, for the disciples and for us as a church is, therefore, you baptize them, and there needs to be some sort of symbolic representation of what's going on inside. This is done for your benefit and for my benefit. Because not only is it an outward testimony, it's an act of obedience. People are going to stand up here and they're going to give you testimony of when they came to know Jesus Christ. And then they're going to do something that is so critical to the Christian life for our growth. They're going to humble themselves underneath the authority of Scripture and do what it says. <coughs> God tells us, be baptized as obedient children. So they're going to give you an external testimony of an internal faith. But then they're going to say, I want to be obedient to Jesus. That's what I want to do. Well, why would you get into this tub and fully immerse yourself in water? Couldn't we just like take out some spray bottles and start spraying? You know, As a matter of fact, uh, Becky told me, Becky's our worship leader, that she said it would be fun if we could get super soakers and get everybody involved, run down the aisle, stuff like that. And I'm from the, like, 80s, so I had, like, the old super soakers in mind. You know, the big ones that actually work, not the break. Anyway, that's a whole different ballgame. Well, baptism means, ready? Immersion. The word baptize itself means to be fully submerged. That's the, that's the core of the message. When Jesus says baptize him, he literally means fully immersed <coughs> under water. Not only are you supposed to immerse yourself, but this is going to be number two, an expression or a demonstration of how this works. People are going to come up here, they're going to give their testimony. They're going to walk down here after they've given their testimony, and they're going to walk up these stairs. Don't worry, I won't fall, at least I hope not. They're going to go into the water and show you a couple things. Before they get baptized, they're going to show you their relationship with Jesus before they confessed and believed. They're going to say, this is me before Jesus. This is me, this is where I was at. Dead man walking. Then they're going to go down into the water, and the water is going to represent Jesus' blood that covers our sin. In the Old Testament it says, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament they used animals for a temporary sacrifice, Jesus being 100% man and 100% God dies on the cross, his blood was shed as a propitiation or a proper sacrifice for you and for me. It is a one-time sacrifice. 
doesn't have to happen over and over and over and over again. It happens one time. And it is by faith that we confess that we believe that that blood covers our sins. So when they go in the water, they're saying, I believe that Jesus' blood covers my sin. And they're coming up, as the Bible says, the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. He's given you a helper and a guide. He calls it the Holy Spirit. He says, I've given this to you and I want you now to declare Jesus to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the world, to your neighbors, to your colleagues, to your parents, to your kids, to whoever that may be. He says, I command you to do these things. So these people who are giving testimony are not only just saying that I believe in Jesus, they're coming up out of the water and they're saying, I'm ready to tell people about Jesus. I'm on fire for Jesus Christ and, you know, God help anybody who tries to stop me. Oh, we love it, okay? So, they are, and I know you're taking notes, watch this. The application part of it, they're identifying with Jesus Christ. What is baptism? It's an identification with Jesus Christ. It's also an identification with twofold. The global church, so I'm connected to people in the global church. People who got baptized, confess and believe in Jesus, and have yet been baptized. I'm identifying with those people and our missionaries who are ministering to the ends of the earth. And I'm also identifying with this church, with this, with this global assembly. So when we baptize people, they, these people are saying, hey, I want you as a family to hold me accountable. When they get into the water and they come out of that water, they say, I'm ready to declare Jesus Christ. They're looking at you, the church, and saying, you've got to hold me accountable. So if I see you running around town or somebody else in the church sees you running around town or whatever and not living the way that Christ wants you to live, we expect to call one another out. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we have fellowship. You wouldn't let somebody else run into danger. You would warn them about that. So we do the same thing here today. So they're making a declaration that they belong to Jesus, an identification with the global church and also the local church Okay, so who should get baptized? Second question, good question. Who should get baptized? First and foremost, at Community Gospel, we do not baptize children. Like infant children, like small children, okay? If baptism is an external declaration of an internal transformation, you have to be able to externally declare something that has happened internally. So we would say that kids need to get to the age to where they can declare that they know Jesus. And ultimately, what we're talking about is baptism is for the believer. It's only reserved for those who are believed. There are children who are small, who cannot articulate. We believe in this thing called the age of accountability. That if Jesus were to come back right now, he would still rescue those kids who can't articulate their faith that they believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be honest with you. Some little kids can articulate their faith better than some big kids, right? And I've talked to some little kids, and they have articulated their faith better than some adults can articulate their faith. So some kids got it. And that's why our children's ministry is so huge at Community Gospel. We're centered around our young people learning about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them so that they can articulate that very, very clearly. And so the kids that are going to come up this morning and give testimony, we've seen them, and we believe that they believe in Jesus. So, there's a, I want to show you how this works. If you jump over to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is the history of the church. 
There's a story that brilliantly demonstrates exactly how kind of this process works. In Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip. I resonate with Philip because he kind of gets in people's business. I like it. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch, and if you want to know what that is, oh boy, I don't even know if I tell you to Google it. But anyway, it's a sermon for a whole other day. Kids, you can ask your parents about that one. Um, all right, verse 24, watch this. This is how it should work. Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, in the regards to the fact that he follows Jesus, he would call himself a Christian. He says, rise up and go to the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. As he rose, he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all of her treasure. He's a big deal. Right? These are the type of people that we like to get saved. All right, watch this, because we're all big deals. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he came to Jerusalem not to worship God, not to worship the living God. He came to Jerusalem to worship his gods. Now watch, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to transform his life for us. Watch this. He was returning seated in the chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading his Bible. Man, he probably looks like a spiritual person. Most people would have just walked on by. But watch this. He's reading the book of Isaiah and the Spirit said to Philip, we're going to preach the book of Isaiah in a couple weeks, so maybe he was waiting for our service to come out. The Spirit says to Philip, Philip, I want you to go over and I want you to join the chariot. This is where God tells us to do stuff, and I look at him, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. But Philip doesn't. Philip ran. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but I love that word. He ran to him. He was so on fire to do what God wanted to do. He runs over to him. And he heard him reading the book of the prophet Isaiah, which means he's reading it aloud. And he says, excuse me, sir. Do you understand what you're reading? Oh. And he said, back to Philip. How can I unless somebody guides me? part of the reason why we preach, to give clarity to the word of God. And so he, what he says is, he says, you can come up and you can sit with me in verse 32. Now, they're reading this passage of scripture that he read, and we're going to preach this passage of scripture in four weeks. Come back. Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, he opens not his mouth. He's talking about Jesus there. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can just... Excuse me, who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth? As the eunuch looks at Philip, he's probably a little confused. He says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet Isaiah say this about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? It's a good question. Is he talking about himself? In other words, what he's saying is Isaiah the one, the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about, is it Isaiah that's going to come and die on the cross for our sins or is it somebody else? And watch this. He says... 35. Philip opens his mouth. If you're a Christian and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that's your command. That you would open your mouth. People are going to stand up and give testimony here today and they're going to be baptized because somebody opened their mouth. And we as a church will open our mouth constantly about the good news about who Jesus Christ is. Philip opens his mouth and he says... And he begins with the scripture, and he tells him the good news about Jesus. That's awesome. Oh, my word. He goes through it with them. And then they're going through the side of the road, and they came to some water. And the Ethiopian eunuch says to him, hey, Philip, here's some water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? I love that. Like, he's so committed to this decision that he's made about following Jesus. And Phil probably walks you through the whole text. If you look at the New Testament, there's scripture passages where the disciples walked people from the beginning of creation all the way down the line. And he probably tells them, you know, hey, Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, and, you know, if you confess and you believe, you, Jesus wants a relationship with you, and then you baptize, you get baptized, you immerse yourself in the water to show that. It's awesome. And the guy says, hey, Phil, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Watch this. And he says, uh, nothing. 38. So he commands the chariot to stop. Now, a lot of people think that he's alone. No way. Do you know how many people traveled in caravans back then? Like, you didn't just get in your station wagon and drive down the road. I mean, you had grandma and grandpa and grandpa's friends and grandma's friends. I mean, you took the whole entire, like, Thanksgiving feast with you, right? And so watch this. He says, they stop, and probably all these people, if we were to look into scripture a little bit, run down there to see what's going on. Like, you guys are gathered here today. They're probably like, whoa, why are we stopping? And they go down into the water and they watch the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch take place. His testimony resonated with the whole family, and that's why we do this publicly. That's why we gather as many people as we possibly can into the house, because we believe that there's probably somebody here today who has never heard the message of Jesus and never made the commitment to follow after him. So that's why... What happens in Acts chapter 8? We are doing two things here this morning. We're giving you, first and foremost, a demonstration. A demonstration on what it means to follow after Jesus. The people who are going to be baptized here this morning have given you testimony. This is when I confess, and this is when I believe in Jesus Christ. And they're going to go into the water, and they're going to demonstrate putting on Jesus Christ. And they're going to put on the gospel. It's on display here this morning. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died according to the scriptures. Christ rose again according to the scriptures. Christ is ruling and reigning still to this day. And we are called to be obedient to him. If you've never been baptized, and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, come find me. Uh, we're ready to fill the tank up, actually, again. i got a couple other people that hit me up this past week, and they're like, hey, we're ready, man. We're ready. Can we do this again sometime? I said, I'll fill up the tank every single week. It's fine. We'll use the same water every single week. <laughs> so who should? If you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you should. And man, pack the house. It's awesome. All right. <clears throat> so then the last question, and we'll end here, and then we'll let people take the stage. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? We get that a lot. A lot of people ask that question. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? A lot of people want to know that. Hey, Jordan, I've never been baptized before, and I know Jesus. I've confessed. I believe in Jesus. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? The short answer to that question? Nope. Nope. It's a symbolic representation of an internal transformation. That's all it is. We have two examples in the Bible that tell us uh, two people that didn't get baptized after they came to know Jesus Christ. There's a jailer in the book of Acts, and um, then we get into uh, the guy that died right beside Jesus Christ. I'm sure you know that story. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's got two, and this is interesting, symbolism within itself. He's got a robber on his left and a robber on his right, two guys that had committed crimes and had been convicted of those crimes. 
one of those guys uh, chooses to essentially humiliate Jesus the whole time. The other guy chooses to kind of look at Jesus from another angle. He looks at Jesus and he says to him, hey, wait, hold on a second. There's something different about you. You're a convicted criminal, but I don't think you did anything wrong. And he looks at him and he says, Jesus, you know, I, I kind of believe in you. Like, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the Son of God. And he says, would it be possible that I could be with you in paradise? And those two criminals are you and I, if you want the truth. We've given a choice whether you're going to accept Jesus or you're going to reject Jesus. Jesus looks over at the other criminals and says, you'll be with me in paradise by the time this thing is over. And I, I, I wasn't there, but I can imagine that guy just a wave of relief going across his body. The Bible says it'll give you peace, even in the hardest trial, tribulation, problem, whatever. The Bible says Jesus gives us peace. And probably a wave of peace just rolled over him. And this guy, on the other side, died just solid rejection. Eternally separated from Christ, with Christ forever in paradise. And you know what? They didn't pull the guy off the cross there and say, hey, you know what? Hold up. The, the, the crucifixion. Let's bring this guy down and let's baptize him. They didn't do that. But Jesus still says, you're with me in paradise. And so we see in the text that, <clears throat> no, he wasn't baptized. But let me ask you a question. If Jesus commanded you to do something, and he died on the cross for your sins, why would you not want to do it? I was thinking about this as we were getting ready to baptize people in the I think about my wedding ring. Um, this, this is a really expensive wedding ring. It cost me whole 25 bucks. So let me tell you what. Uh, Bethany and I, we've been married for a little over 10 years. Best 10 years of my life. Uh, I remember when we got married. We walked down the aisle and said our vows, right? We pledged our love to one another. We said said, Bethany, I know you'll learn to love me, but I love you. <laughs> and uh, we pledge our, our love to one another. And I parallel this with the relationship with Jesus. It's, it's a lot like our relationship with Jesus. We come into a covenant relationship with Jesus. The, the marriage is a parallel picture of what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, when we said our vows, and I said my vows to Jesus, I said, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I confess, I believe. And he says, absolutely, I, I want that relationship with you. And I mean, let me tell you what we were... We were Googling over each other. It was a crazy day, right? And then we, we had rings. My dad did the ceremony, and he's standing back here. And I'm here, and Bethany's here. And my dad says, do you have rings that seal the sincerity of the vows that you have made? And I said, yeah, I lived in a box for like a year to get that ring, so here we go, you know? And I give it to Bethany, and I, and I put it on her ring finger, and I say, with this ring, I pledge my love to you. I said, just tears flowing down my cheeks, and Bethany was just completely emotionless. And you think it's <laughs> but it's, it's true. It's really true. And, uh, and then we left. We went to the ceremony, right? We went to the, uh, the, the reception. And I, I remember looking at my finger the whole time. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And I look at my mom. I'm like, mom, miracles! This! <laughs> And I, I mean, I wore that thing proudly, you know? I still do to this day. It's just a symbol. I don't have to wear my wedding ring. I really don't. I'm not commanded to. There's nothing in our wedding vows to say I have to wear it. There's nothing there. I, I technically don't have to wear it.
wear my wedding ring. But let me tell you something, I wear it proudly because this is my wife. My, she's the love of my life. Baptism is the same way. You don't have to get baptized, you really don't. But why wouldn't you? Why would you not be on the verge if you confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? To get into the tank, to be obedient to Jesus first and foremost. And two, have the opportunity to declare your love for him. And three, give somebody else the opportunity to know him as well. That's what these people are going to do here this morning. I'm going to pray that we're calming their nerves a little bit and we're going to bring them up. And uh, you're going to hear testimony. If you've never confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord, make today that day. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. I really would. It's my wheelhouse. I, I love the gospel. I'm an evangelist at heart, which means I just... I love sharing God's word in that way and uh, let people kind of know what that's all about. Um, if you never made that decision, today's the day. Second thing is, if you never got baptized and you're sitting here and you're like, Jordan, I've, I've never done that, um, let me know. Let me know. We would love to fill the tank up again. Like I said, we got a couple of people that are looking into this. Um, and, man, we would love to help you with that step of obedience. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, I love your word. And what it says, and I love that I get to get out of the way here just for a little bit and let some people speak on how great you really truly are. Yeah. Uh, God, the testimonies of the, the people who are about to come and declare their love for you, I pray that you would just soften those nerves a little bit, help them not to be afraid, that they view this, this one time right here as uh, a first time of many times that they're going to tell people about their relationship with I pray that they see this as a stepping stone, that this is the first time that they, that they really get serious about declaring what it means to know you, to have faith, and to trust you and you alone. I pray that you would give them the opportunity to be bold as lions even after this day, that they would continue to declare it, that they would go to their schools and to their jobs and with their families, and they would tell people, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I know that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I know that Jesus came into the world to save the world. He saved a sinner like me. And we would pray that their testimony ultimately gives other people the opportunity to repent of their selves, sinners, and turn to you. I pray for the kids that are going to get baptized here this morning, for their, their dads, that you would give them the ability to continue to lead in God and give them the opportunity for grandpas, for spouses, for the people who have already made declarations but are going to assist in that way here this morning. That they would continue to spur on these young people and just our congregation in general. And for us, God, we want to hold these people accountable. We really do. That we would all be your witnesses. That we would all hold true to the message that's been preached to your disciples first and then to us. That we would all hold fast to the message that we are called to go, therefore, and make disciples. To teach them, to instruct them. To love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves so that when you do come in the second advent to call us home, there will be so many more people that follow you. <coughs> Bless what's about to take place here, God. We love you so much. Thanks for the opportunity to be participants in it today. All God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com 
and click the Contribute tab.